Are you tired of being broke? Is the month lasting longer than your actual paychecks? Well, get the Simple Budget Calendar. You can get the Simple Budget Calendar at aboutthatwallet.com shop and download your Simple Budget Calendar today. Are you planning to travel soon and you just need something to travel with you to clean the dirty laundry because you don't want to have the stinky socks hanging next to those clean white shirts? Then look no further. You want to make sure you get yourself some Earth Breeze, which is clean laundry, no plastic jugs. Turn an everyday chore into an act of kindness. Earth Breeze provides a powerful clean while making a difference. An eco-responsible laundry detergent delivered to your home. So go ahead on and join 1 million plus people who have made the switch. They experience a powerful clean, remove tough stains and strong odors, works in all machines, HE included, hypoallergenic, and great for sensitive skin, in safe space, and easy to use. I make sure I use that on all of my products. Make sure you get yourself some Earth Breeze today. Go to aboutthatwallet.com forward slash Earth Breeze. Like if you don't, I mean, there, there are plenty of people who have bought treadmills that ended up, you know, as, as hanging racks for their clothes. Like, so don't, so don't, don't be that person that's paying for things that they're not using. I mean, if there's a pool, and you're gonna use it, okay. But if you're not gonna use it, then why are you paying for the for access to a pool that you're never gonna use? Um, so really look look for properties that have amenities that you're actually going to use. Um, Welcome, everybody, back to another exciting show of the About That Water podcast, where we help you build strong financial habits. I have the honor to bring on Justin Poe, uh, who is a founder of the, Re- of the Rental Secrets, an author and real estate consultant based in San Jose, California. His services are sought after by property management companies, investors, and real estate consulting companies alike. He's been shown on Fox News, the Mercury News, Realtor.com, and ApartmentTherapy.com have all featured his insights for the benefit of their audiences. So, so thank you so much, Justin, for coming on the show today. Oh, absolutely. And it's actually my honor to, to be here. Um, and just so your audiences know, everything doesn't always go perfect. So in the bio that I sent, I mistakenly left San Jose, California is where I am now. I'm actually in Dallas, Texas. Ah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can always work that out because Texas is <laughs> pretty cool. You're actually making the migration that so many people have made during the pandemic. Are you one of them? Yes. Yes. I mean, and a big reason for that is just the sheer cost of living in San Jose, California. So I've actually um, worked as a property manager in the San Francisco Bay Area. And a studio apartment was two thousand dollars a month, what? and this was, and this was twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. So it's even been a few years since then. So it's gone up from there. Um, so that's what a lot of people are facing. So even though there's all these high paying tech jobs in San in the San Francisco Bay Area, like you're putting out that money in rent every every month so then you don't have any money to to do anything else so in other words just kind of like even out i mean pretty pretty much that's that's what's happening so what a number of people are doing and is they're getting roommates Mm -hmm. so the house that i grew up in which is in san jose california it's a four bedroom two bath house we are actually renting rooms to young professionals Wow, and that is how people are getting around the cost. This this crunch around the cost of the around the cost of housing, but even still, a, a one bedroom apartment where, or a or a bedroom where you're sharing a bathroom with somebody else is going to run you at least nine hundred a month. 
how do you set up um do you set up like contracts for the house itself or for each individual person had to sign like a different contract yeah that's a really good question so the way we have it set up is there's an individual contract with each person for the bedroom because the way normal renting contracts are written you are liable for this agreement both jointly yep. and severally so what that means is four people rent a house together they all sign the lease all four of them are responsible for the rent and the financial obligation as a group well as people's lives progress and as people start wanting to move out or whatever whoever the out of those four people whoever the landlord can find legally to sue for money that they're owed they will find that person they will sue that person in court there will be a judgment against that person for the whole amount, whatever that happens to be. And then it is that person's, I guess, not necessarily obligation, but it's their responsibility to then go and sue the other people in that group to recover the portion of money that those people owe. Wow. So instead of setting people up for that situation, we rent the rooms individually. I have a lease arrangement. I have a lease with each of the people in the, in a bedroom and they're just responsible financially responsible for their particular bedroom that's it um because i'm not trying to complicate anybody's lives <laughs> i want to keep it as simple as simple as possible now when it comes to how do you even get to the point of sharing a bathroom with a complete stranger yeah. um honestly you did it in college okay and that's where a lot of young professionals are coming from they have that's the experience they had in college and well we back up. That's the experience that college people in college used to have. Some of these colleges have now become resorts <laughs> where everybody's got their own bathroom and all of these other amenities. Um, but that concept of sharing space, it comes, comes from the college experience when you're in a, in a dorm and that kind of thing. So it's not that uncommon or unheard of for for the cohort of cohort of people who are kind of just starting out in their in their careers to to be sharing to be sharing space now that also leads into some of the issues some of the relationship issues that you have yep. when you're sharing space this person cleans the kitchen this other person leaves all the dishes there you know you drank the beer i left in the refrigerator you know all of those kinds of issues do spring up um which is why we have a set of house rules that everybody has to agree to when they when they move in um so it can be a little more difficult to to set that up but on the flip side as a landlord since i'm renting individual bedrooms my my rental income is actually higher than it would otherwise be if i just rented the entire house to a family that is a really smart move now because you're talking about it from the landlord perspective, um, you realize, like, uh, I heard in the past that you actually started this whole journey into looking at from the renter's perspective because there weren't too many books out there. Can you talk about what was that journey like? There were zero books out there. Oh. Um, so I, after this job I had managing um, apartments in the, in the Bay Area, um, left that company and someone suggested to me that I might want to write a book about about being a landlord, renting, real estate, you know, in something in that vein. So I'd never written a book before. So I went to the bookstore. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the real estate section. I see books for owners and landlords and investors and property syndicators and real estate agents and all of these people in and around the real estate space. I saw zero books written from the perspective of the renter, which I thought was really odd because they're the ones that are paying over half a trillion dollars a year in rent. And yeah, that's trillion with a T. So they are supporting the entire industry. So out of that half a trillion, investors are getting returns on their money. Um, counties are getting are receiving property taxes property management companies are getting are getting paid um companies that have built property management software are getting paid out of that money so everybody in and around this industry is getting paid out of all of this rent that renters are paying 
but nobody's written from their perspective. Like, how do I rent effectively? Like what, what red flag should I be looking for? Um, when I go to, when I go to rent a property, um, how much information can I believe from the leasing agent? Like, what are they telling me and what's real and what's not? Um, what power do I have to negotiate in this in this conversation um, that we're having about renting this particular apartment versus another one? Um, I, I saw absolutely nothing. There's there's as far as books are concerned, there are some magazine articles out there that that talk about it. There are a few blogs that mention some tips and that kind of thing. Um, but as far as in industry insider actually opening up and revealing some secrets about that yeah i didn't see very much at all so what are the well let's dive into some of those secrets so what was the the number one secret that was shocking to you when you were writing this well one of the things that's shocking to me is when i was renting apartments to people people would come in and they'd look at the community and they'd be so excited about the swimming pool yeah. So great. We could go on the week swimming on the weekends, blah, blah, blah. So after hearing all of these conversations at the front end of the leasing process, you would think that there would be all of this competition for use of the swimming pool. Right. After they move in crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because all of this emphasis is placed on the swimming pool at the beginning mm -hmm. and they're valuing the swimming pool in their mental calculation about what is it worth to rent this apartment in terms of dollars and cents but then they never use it right so their value calculation is off so what happens when you when you call an apartment community you, know, you call the apartment community leasing agent answers and you tell them i'm interested in a two-bedroom apartment and then they start asking you all of these questions like would you like your apartment to be on the first floor or the second floor would you like it to be on the pool side of the property or on the courtyard side of the property? Um, would you like it to have a washer dryer? So they're asking all these questions and you're, and what most people do is they respond to these questions based on what they want. Mm. And, and, and the danger is each of these amenities are priced into the rent so if an apartment is closer to a swimming pool the rent is higher if it has a washer dryer the rent is higher if it's even closer to the laundry room the rent is higher what? um so all these amenities are built into the price so as you're answering these questions you're saying yes I, i'd like to be close to the pool yes i'd like to be in the penthouse apartment yes i'd like to have a washer and dryer in my apartment all those prices are adding up yeah and then they say, great, we have one apartment that fits your needs. Do you have time this afternoon to come and look at it? Right. And then you're like, oh, wow, they only have one. I better get back. I better get down there right now and sign this lease. Otherwise, it's going to be gone. Yeah. But that community may have had an apartment that was on the first floor. Mm. It was on the opposite side from the swimming pool. And it may have fit your needs just fine. It didn't fit your wants, right. but it fit your needs. So, but that's not even part of the conversation because by your answers to those questions, you have excluded it from the conversation. Right. Now they can't, by law, they cannot steer you to that other apartment, but you've steered yourself by answering those questions. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. That is interesting because it gets me to think now of how we negotiate in general or how salespeople actually omit a lot of things um, be based on your answers that you're giving. Social yeah. field does that automatically, like based on the things that you like, we only going to show you these things. But then I'm looking at somebody else's social media. I was like, I like that stuff, too, because <laughs> I keep looking at other things. I'm not being shown uh those other things that's out there in the world that's yeah interesting yeah you bring up a, you also bring up another interesting facet of this because people assume the internet knows everything yep and 
it's just not so. And let me let me give you an example. So a couple of examples. So if you're trying to figure out how to change the oil in a particular type of vehicle, right? Everybody, there's a lot of people out there that have that information. So it's going. So it gets posted, and this this whole group of people who have this information decide what gets posted about that topic. Mm-hmm. They post it. You figure out how to change your oil. You move on with your life. Well, when it comes to what's available at a particular apartment building. There's only one organization that has that information and they can choose to present it however they want to. So let's say there's a hundred unit apartment building and let's say they've got 10 vacancies. What's likely going to end up on the internet is probably about three of those vacancies. So they can show you what types of apartments they have available and when when those will be available. But the other seven, they won't be listed. As far as you're concerned, if you're looking on the internet, they won't exist unless you ask about them. Right. They can't, they have to tell you about them if you ask, just basically on fair housing law. But on the internet, they're going to present those three. So the internet doesn't necessarily know everything. It just knows what whoever has the information has chosen to present to you. Now, would this be you know, from your expertise, and I'm just thinking of an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. So say if you have this hundred unit property and after, cause everybody has to go in and check it out and clean it out, whatever, when people move out, mm-hmm. would it be a business opportunity for somebody out there with a good camera to go in and each property as they clean out to say, Hey, these are the photos for this room, post it up on a website. And so they get live folded, not really live, but the most up-to-date photos of that room instead of just the three, was it just kind of a better thing just to show the three? It's, there's value, there is some value in doing that. The issue is going to be, is there going to be enough value for the individual who's going to be capturing those pictures and posting those to make it worth their while because that value is very disparate and spread out so if you think about the number of apartment communities that are out there and you think about how quickly the availability changes in each of those communities that's true there's a lot of time that's going to be soaked up in figuring out what the availability is in any on any given day or week taking those pictures getting those pictures up and getting and disseminating that information when in the next two or three days, all of that information is going to change. And now you need a whole new set of pictures. Got you. That makes sense. Cause, um, when I was looking for apartments, um, Mm -hmm. a while back, um, I was leaving my ex and I told him that I wanted a high floor. I didn't care where it was at. I just wanted a high floor. And they originally told me it was a high floor at this building and so forth. When I finally got the keys, it was like, no, it's saying that this building is at this building. And I was like, well, on the paperwork, it shows this and the back and forth thing. But I wound up staying there. And then I told them, I was like, on the back of the list, they always give you a list to say, hey, check off anything that you don't see or there's problems mm-hmm. and so forth. I gave them two pages worth of stuff because I, I'm a good renter. But I was like, the floorboards are messed up. The bathroom is uh, sinking or whatever. The floor is sinking like this. Mm-hmm. And they was like in the clause, it was like, well, you got 30 days if you don't like it or whatever you can, or 15 days, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. If things weren't fixed, you can actually get your money back and go elsewhere. And I was like, cool. So I gave them all this stuff and they were in there like pretty quickly because they wanted to make sure they keep it. Because uh, I didn't want to be responsible. I was like, hey, y'all got screens that are missing because they tried to charge you for screens one time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all been down that, that path, but what is it, um, what are your, I guess you could say best practices, uh, for renters should have, like, what are the top four or five things that they should do? Number one, definitely. They should follow exactly what you did. Go through the apartment with a fine tooth comb, whatever is not right, write it down and present that back to the landlord. Um, because you, like you said, you don't want to be responsible for those things when you, when you move out. Um, 
other things that are that are useful um, is so there's this concept in accounting called useful life. Mm-hmm. Okay. And specifically related to carpet and paint in, in, in apartments. So a lot of times when people move out of an apartment, the landlord wants to charge them for nicks in the wall and, you know, and or damage the carpet, that kind of thing. Well, here's the thing. If the paint and the carpet were new when you moved in and you were there for a year and now they're damaged, then yes, you bear some responsibility for repairing, for having those things repaired. You do not bear 100% responsibility, however. So if the useful life of carpet is five years, you've lived in there for a year, they should only be billing you for the four years of remaining useful life of that carpet. Now, useful life starts when the carpet is installed, not when you move in. So if you're so if you're moving out of an apartment and they want to bill you for a bunch of stuff and one of them is carpet, ask them when was that carpet installed? Because whatever whatever time has passed from when that carpet was installed to when you moved out, you're not responsible for that part of the useful life. You're only responsible for the paying for recovery of the useful life going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with paint. But useful life on paint is usually about two years. Um, so the idea is if you're in an apartment for two years, you should never get charged for repainting it when you move out ever. And that's a way that and you can push back on that um, when you get that final um, tally of what's coming out of your security deposit. You're like, hey, look, I've been here three years. You got all the life out of the paint that you're going to get. And I shouldn't be paying for the cost of repainting. Um, but if people don't know and they're like, yeah, well, I mean, the paint is scuffed up. Like that's, that's true. Um, then they think they have to pay for it when in reality they don't have to, or they shouldn't have to. Right. Um, so that's another, that's another thing that people should, people should keep in mind. Um, and then I guess a third tip would be think about the timing of when you're going to move into an apartment. Because so every year in the summertime, June, July, August timeframe, there are two major events that are happening. There's about 5 million kids that are graduating from college and they're all looking for new places to rent so they can start that new job wherever it happens to be. And there's another five to six million parents that are moving school districts for whatever reason trying to get situated before the school year starts in August or September. So that is 10 million households that are floating around trying to figure out where to move and all of that. So all these landlords know this and because it happens every year. So the rents in summer are higher. The asking rents are higher in summer Uh because there's all this movement and all of this churn. So, I mean, if you need to move in summer, by all means, do what you got to do. However, if you can wait until November, December, January, activity slows down, vacancies still happen, and landlords are like, look, you don't have all this churn. We got to get this place rented. So typically the asking prices are lower. And according to some studies, depending on what city you're in and depending on what type of apartment you're looking for, those asking rents can be up to 7% lower. Wow. 7% on a grand in rent is a big deal. Yeah. With 70 bucks of grocery money. I mean, it, that, that, that's like partial car payment money. I mean, that, that, that's real money that you can spend on, on other stuff. And part of the reason why landlords have lower asking rents in say January is because the money that they earn, it's not just providing the apartment it is also a time-based element to this. You're paying per month. Mm-hmm. So if an apartment is vacant for a month, they get no income right. and they can never recover it. It's gone forever. So instead of waiting from January until we hit June, We'll rent it now. 
instead of foregoing six months of rent to try and get a higher price monthly. So that's what, so that's why the, that's why there's a timing element to asking rents from the landlord perspective. That makes sense because, um, so is there a way to negotiate the price when you first get it? So it's like, say for instance, for me, when I was looking, I wanted to make sure that it was close to the job, Mm -hmm. but I was willing to drive at least 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. In 30 minutes, you can go quite a ways in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So when you talk about like the radius and the price of it, uh, can you expand on if, is that even something doable uh, to kind of negotiate your rent? Yes, actually, actually it is. Um, And you're touching on one of the favorite phrases of landlords everywhere. Hmm. Our rents are competitive with the market. Yes. So we, but we need to think about the words in that phrase, like what is competitive and what is the market? Um, So what a lot of, what a lot of um, property companies do is they pull out a map, they put a pin in where their property is, and they grow out and they draw a circle around their property about a mile out. And they look at every property within that circle that they consider to be comparable to theirs. And then they look at the rents that those properties are charging. That's who they define as the market. That's a very different definition than it is for you. So for you, you want, you're looking at a property that's half hour from your job, half hour, north, south, east, or west, you don't care about that. So they're looking at this small area here. What you're looking at is this, and you're looking at properties in this whole area. So when you go to look at properties, bring that price information with you. Like these are my other alternatives. I like your property because of X, Y, and Z, but these are my other alternatives. And then it's not just that you're in their office whining about the, the, the amount of rent that they're charging. You're actually bringing them market data that is specific to you. Um, and then telling them, these are the options that I have. Can you fit into this marketplace because real or actually not even this marketplace into my marketplace right right you want my there's only one market for my rent money and if you want to compete in that market these are these are the these are the other competitors that you're dealing with but before you go and talk to them they don't know that all they have is some avatar that was given to them by their marketing department you know, this person has 1.5 kids and they've got 0.75 cars and like, it's not a real person. Yeah. And then once you show up and you start talking about what the options are, what that market looks like, then they have, then they have actual information to make a decision upon which, whether they want to rent to you or not, or whether they're going to compete in that marketplace or in the case of if this property is owned by a corporation, they can go to their, this is information they can go to their boss with and say, this is, this is what this looks like. Yeah. You know, and if you're just in their office whining, like I can't take that to my boss, but if you actually bring market data, I can take that to my boss and we can have a conversation about it and we can decide what we're, what we're willing to do, if anything. And, and we can go from there. Um, but it also shows that you're you're actually an informed consumer, and that you are that in that you're more likely to take care of the property once you once you get into it. That's interesting because one of the reasons why I turned down one apartment complex was because it wasn't. Let's see what did I tell them. I told them, "Hey, I'm trying to move out, going through some stuff." Do not send anything to the house. And I was already set, had everything ready. All they had to do was just send me the keys. They just had to send me a letter to say, hey, the keys are ready. Mm-hmm. The person actually mailed, they, it was a big sign that says, do not mail, because I watched them do that. Mm-hmm. They mailed the keys anyway. I mean, they mailed the notification anyway. Mm-hmm. 
I went back to them and I told them, hey, I can no longer move here because you guys had sent this letter. I'm sorry, we had to cut ties. Mm-hmm. And they were like face palming, like literally. It's like, I'm so sorry. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, hey, you know, it's a, like a life situation that you're putting me into. Mm-hmm. And now you're part of it. So no longer with them. Went to another one and I told them the exact same thing. They was like, cool, we got you. They texted me like, hey, it's ready. I was like, cool, I'll be there. And that's mm-hmm. what I wound up moving into was because they actually were able to follow simple directions um, just from a renter space, you know, just like mm-hmm. the power of, of renting. It's just communication is a big key in this whole space in real estate. It's, it's, it, it's huge. Yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely huge. Um, and I will say your request to not send information is is a little out of the out of the ordinary it's not it's not a typical request um but at the same time like if i'm renting to people i've got a file on my desk about this person in this apartment and if there's a notice on top that says do not send this person any information or communicate by text or whatever it is that's what we need to do right (laughs) it's the small things in business like (laughs) yeah I can make a yeah. thing. It is it is a small things. Yeah. Um, so because we talk about um, you know, habits on this show and you know, talking about this second segment, I wanted to talk about some of the um adversities that you actually came across when you were actually building I uh, I guess you could say um <laughs> I was like your empire. Yeah. Adversity comes in all shapes and sizes. Um, so, and I've, one of the, one of the adverse situations I faced was, uh, came in the form of a flood. Mm. Um, there was, it was a 32 unit apartment building and there was a drainage canal behind the building and somewhere upstream it got, or downstream it got blocked up. And we were experiencing kind of torrential rain that day and it backed up, filled up and flooded the first floor of the apartment community. Um, And it's just that kind of helpless feeling standing on the second floor balcony, just watching this water just rise. (laughs) um so tenants are calling me like what what do we do i'm like towels under the door just put towels under the door just like that's all that's all we can do until the water like recedes um and the tenants came to me and they're like well are you gonna put all of us up in a hotel i'm like no (laughs) i can't i can't do that like they're like the red cross did come and like they provided some assistance for a day or so um but what it really boiled down to is we have two options. We can either, I'm going to clean up the apartment building regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have, you as a tenant have the option to cancel your lease right, right then and there, mm-hmm. because as of that moment, because of this flood, I am not able to contractually fulfill my obligation as a landlord to you. Right. So you are able to, cancel that contract right there but there are repercussions the repercussions are not coming from me but if you're going to move out you need to have a security deposit for the next place you're going to move to you then need to invest time and energy on finding that place and this didn't only affect us i mean this rainstorm affected the entire area so yes you do have the legally you do have the option to cancel at least at that time but there are ramifications to doing that um, so essentially all of those tenants decided to stay. Um, some of them I was able to put into vacant apartments, um, that I happen to have. Now I didn't have to, I'm not legally obligated to offer them that, right. but I made that available to some, to some of them. Um, and it took about three days, but we got all the carpets torn up. We got the places, the subfloors disinfected and cleaned up because it was concrete subfloors did all that work got new carpet in there and people were able to move back in in about three days but if you had asked me when i left 
grad school about whether I'd be dealing with a flood, malmanaging apartments. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, that's never what that's not going to happen. Right. Um, but yet it but yet it did. Um, we I had we had another situation. And when I say we, it was actually my mother and I that were that had invested. So we invested as a family. This is this is all teamwork, <laughs> which uh, which is really important. Um, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, so another another bit of adversity we had was this is around 2008 great recession all of that um there were some housing assistance programs that the federal government had announced and the money went from the federal government down to the state government and the state governments distributed it to um to um what's the word for these these social assistance organizations at the county at the county level um well, the state had not formally figured out what the process and procedures for distributing the money was going to be, but they had, but they had already contracted for these apartments for people to house people going through this crisis. Um, well, the longer it took for the money to flow, the more heated the conversations between the landlords and the social services agencies got. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and, and I get it, like, it's challenging. Like you've got, you've got salaries to pay, you've got taxes to pay, you've got mortgages to pay. Like there's things that you're trying to cover while you're going through this situation. But on the flip side of that, knowing that the government is slow, they take their time doing stuff and the money will eventually come have being patient can in that situation can serve you well because yelling and screaming at somebody who really can't solve your problem in that moment is not going to do you any good. Uh, okay. Yeah. So those are, I mean, those are just a couple of, you know, adversities that were, that we faced. I mean, I've got plenty, plenty more. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Cause that'll be a good, good way to understand is that, um, you know, for people that are looking to either be a landlord, uh, to kind of think about those. And obviously I shared some of the adversities that I had just even from the renting side of the house. Um, but what are those, um, those habits as I'm thinking of people who have kids that are about to force their kids out into the rental space, what mm-hmm. are some of the good habits, maybe the, some three habits um to become a good renter because you know it's their first time they don't know what to do they don't have a check it's not like their parents left them with a checklist like hey make sure Mm -hmm. you do this or say make sure you have at least like you said the down Mm -hmm. payment to get started what would be the things that you tell them yeah number one never rent anything you haven't seen Mm. get on the property walk the property walk the specific unit that they're talking about renting to you. And, and it's not even, it's not even just walk the property, walk the neighborhood because you're not just renting an apartment in a community, in an apartment community, you're renting within a neighborhood and the things going on in that neighborhood are going to affect you. Um, so for example, the leasing agent may say, you know, you may, you may need two parking spaces and the leasing agent may say, well, it comes with one parking space and there's, but there's plenty of street parking. Um, come back at five o'clock and see if that's true. <laughs> right. um, Cause there may be plenty of street parking, but it might be, you know, half mile or a mile away. Like th- those, you know, really look at those kinds, really look at those kinds of issues. Um, number two, when you're looking at the amenities of a property, all of those amenities are priced into the rent that you are going to be paying. Are you actually going to use them? Like if you don't, I mean, there, there are plenty of people who have bought treadmills that ended up, you know, as, as hanging racks for their clothes. Like, so don't, so don't, don't be that person that's paying for things that they're not using. I mean, if there's a pool and you're going to use it, okay. But if you're not going to use it, then why are you paying for the, for access to a pool that you're never going to use. Um, so really look, look for properties that have amenities that you're actually going to use. Um, and then thirdly, 
everybody's going to start on the everybody's going to start their search on the internet because that's the biggest source of information about what's going on. But when you actually get onto the property, ask the leasing agent about what are the current vacancies. Don't limit yourself with those answers to all those questions based on your wants. Ask just just ask them as if I'm looking for a studio for a one bedroom apartment. What are the one bedroom apartments you have available? I want to know about all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way you on your own can can decide which apartments might work for you best without without being presented things in a particular order. Because um, a leasing agent is going to want to lease like the most expensive apartment or the one that they've had vacant longest. Like that's like that's where they're that's where they're coming from. Um, but for you, you don't really care about any of that. You want to rent an apartment that works for you. Yeah. Um, so those so those are I think are the the top three things I tell people when they're going into a rental situation. Um, a bonus thing I'd say is make your landlord's job as easy as possible. Like don't be playing loud music at, you know, crazy hours of the, the, the day and night, you know, you made an obligation to pay your rent, pay your rent on time. So they don't have to come after, come chasing after you with legal letters and all of that kind of stuff. Um, if there are maintenance issues that are going on in the apartment, tell them, tell the landlord before they become major, like a small water leak is relatively easy to repair. But if that leak goes on for a long period of time, now we may be talking about damaged cabinets, warped floorboards. You know, it, it does progress into larger issues. Um, and those things are just part of being a good renter. And then when it comes to renewal time, that can give you some leverage when you start talking about the lease renewal. Um, and have, you know, when you're having, when you're having that conversation. Um, and some people say that, that, you know, that doesn't really matter because they're going to raise it, whatever they're going to raise it to. Um, but I've seen situations where that information matters especially if it's not a corporate landlord especially if it's listed an individual that owns a rental property because they're trying to live their own life and deal with their own issues and if you're not adding issues to their plate they're more likely not to not to raise your rent at renewal they'll just leave it the way it is because they're comfortable with the situation there is and they don't want to upset the apple cart that's a good way to do it um good that is uh, some really good tips just to kind of get started. Um, and hopefully all of you who are out there uh, with your kids just start taking notes and just rewind it because these are things that we all been through. Um, but hopefully you share this information with your kids because my mom was a renter and she ain't sharing nothing with me. She was just, go get your own. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's just tragic. Like when you finish school, whether it's high school or college yeah. and you graduate, like what are the... F- one of the first two things you're going to do, you're going to get a job yep. and you're going to rent an apartment. Yep. Like that's, that's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And nobody really talks about, to be honest, nobody really talks about either of them. Like while you're in school, like that's, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's, I mean, in many cases that that's, it's criminal is what it is. You're going to put somebody into a game and not tell them what the rules are. Yeah. And most likely they're going to just follow their friends anyway. Like, Hey, I'm already renting here. You can come here too. Mm-hmm. Everything seems okay. And that's what most people go in there blind. Yeah. Blind leading the blind. That's a mess. Yeah. Uh, so although one thing I did want to bring up is um, I recently saw a podcast where they were talking about someone who, well, when you go to rent an apartment, you're usually paying application fees, right? Yep. And I recently saw a podcast where someone was charged an application fee of $670. What? Yeah. Your face is encapsulating the feeling that I had when I, when I saw that. And I mean, that's absolutely beyond ridiculous because if they're willing to charge that amount of money as an applicant, just for the privilege of applying. Right. Then how do you think you're going to get treated once you're actually 
in there. Nickel and dime everything. Yeah. I mean, they're already, they're already not treating you fairly or appropriately. So, and that's where they're starting the relationship. Mm-hmm. So beware of, beware of think beware of situations like that. Um, the application, oh, okay. the application fee is really just to cover the cost of like doing a background check, um, checking your credit, um, maybe, maybe a, a little, you know, 15, 20 minutes for the property manager to review your application and your information. It's not meant as a revenue source for the apartment complex. That's not what that should be. Right. So, cause you talked about credit for a hot second. Um, mm-hmm. Does having like, what would be a good credit score or just each renter is a little different. Each landlord is a little different. <sighs> Each landlord is going to be a little different. The better your credit is, the easier it is going to be for you to rent because in actuality, the landlord is is extending you credit, basically. Like you, you are being allowed to use this piece of property, which is worth however many hundreds of thousands of dollars, as long as you make this as long as you make this payment in the future spread out over 12 months. So it really is an extension of credit. Um, that being that being said, it's not like you have to have an 800s credit score to rent anywhere. Um, but if you do have lower credit in the 500, you know, down in the 500s or 400s, um, it is going to be more difficult for you, for you to rent. Some landlords will deny you, um, an apartment based on your credit score. Um, but there are steps you can take to mitigate that. So one is if you actually know what's on your credit report and you've actually talked to those companies that have placed those negative entries on your credit report and you have letters from them saying you've made X arrangements with them, some landlords will will um, take those into account when they're looking at your credit score. Um, So that's one thing. Something else you can do is there's a typical security deposit amount for any given apartment. Um, And the way they use the credit score is if your credit score is low, then that may indicate that you may not pay them in the future. Well, you can mitigate that risk by providing a higher security deposit. So let's say the security deposit is normally like $300. You could provide a $600 or $900 security deposit to to mitigate the risk of them not getting paid in the future. Um, other things I've seen people do is pay six months of rent up front. If that's something that like you can do, do then that will that will mitigate that will mitigate that risk. And on top of that, I've seen people. I've seen people use that strategy to even negotiate for a lower rent, because yep. um, typically landlords don't get six months worth of rent up front. Now, the danger for the landlord is it's nice to get the money up front, but the danger from the landlord perspective is if you violate the other rules of the community, mm-hmm. I've already accepted money from you for future periods. So it makes it more difficult to, uh, if I need to take you into court because you're violating the other community rules, now I have to give money back to you. Like it muddies the water because typically once a landlord has accepted money from you, um, any judge is going to lean much more towards you've already paid your end. Right. Um, so that's the danger from the landlord, from the landlord perspective. Um, and corporations look at that much, look at that danger much more seriously than individuals who just happen to own just happen to own rental property. Um, but there are there are deals, there are ways to negotiate. And the issue around the um, the credit score, it's just one of those. This was one of those parts of that negotiation. Gotcha. Okay. So that's a lot. All right. Make sure you guys get your credit scores up and continue to listen to this show so we can help sure that you have a wonderful credit score by the time you go ahead on and apply 
for your apartment or even your kids go apply for an apartment. Um, so let's talk about the third segment here, which is talking about the future. So where do you say yourself or the business in the next two years? Um, so I definitely see myself doing more consulting work. Um, so I had a, had an experience where a, uh, a woman had bought an apartment, had bought a rental property in a different state and the property management company just stopped sending her, her residual checks every month. Oh. Um, so issues with property management companies is a, is a whole nother, is a whole nother segment, but that consulting project I had with her was how do I apply pressure to the property management company to send me the money they owe without having to take them through arbitration and court, which is a very expensive, um, endeavor. Um, so certainly looking forward to more consulting opportunities around that. Um, and also, and also just continuing to create content around this concept of how renters can save money and work better with landlords, um, and negotiate better. So they know how to, so they know how to navigate this whole rental situation a lot better than, than they, than they have been. Um, and ultimately the goal is like get rid of all this animosity between renters and landlords because you actually need each other. Yep. Because very few people are gonna go out and put hammer to nail and build a house. Yep. And without renters, like landlords own a big paperweight. Like it's it's not useful to them if nobody's renting from them. Yep. Cause you do see it a lot with those landlocked properties, and it's like, well, nobody wants it. Yeah. <laughs> get to it, man. Awesome. So uh, the reason why I asked that question is because usually most people who um, have been on the show actually achieve their goals within the first six months of saying it. So, you know, I look forward to seeing you in about six months with your consulting business up and running. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speak it and put, put it into existence. Yeah. All right. So you ready for the final four questions? Yes. All righty. So the number one question here is what does wealth mean to you? Wealth is absolutely is time freedom. I can do, I can work on the projects I want to work on. I can, and it's not just time freedom. It's geographic freedom too. It's like, I can work on the projects I want to work on. I can be where I want to be when I'm working on them. And I can choose who I want to work on them with. Nice. Sounds like a party. <laughs> it can be <laughs> a business building party. <laughs> I like that. Uh, number two, what was your worst money mistake? One of the worst money mistakes I ever made was not valuing my time. Mm -hmm. So when I finished college, I was going to school on the East Coast. And I wanted a job that would allow me to return back to San Jose, California and paid me about $40,000 a year. So this is like 1997 when this was, when this happened. Um, I may not look it, but yes, I am that old. Um, <laughs> and anyway, the job I got was a general management job with a private security company. So I was managing security officers. And I got the and I got the salary that I wanted, and it let me move back to California and all of that. Um, but when I say I didn't value my time, the job was essentially a twenty four seven job. Not that I was officially working for twenty four seven twenty four seven, but I had to be available twenty four seven. So security job, yeah. I had these officers working for me. It's a twenty four seven industry. I have people out at corporate sites during the week, on the weekends, midnight, you know, always working all these hours. So if there was a problem where someone showed up to work drunk, which did happen at least once, um, or there was a situation where one of my officers decided they were going to steal computer equipment from uh, one of our clients which uh, we had to go through and rectify and recover the equipment and all of that. But all of these things are happening during the times when I'm supposed to be officially off. Mm -hmm. So I didn't value the fact that 
I needed to be available 168 hours a week. Right. So I'm looking at my $40,000 a year salary, dividing it by, you know, 40 hours a week. And I'm like, okay, that, that's a good salary. I can work with that, blah, blah, blah. Well, if I had divided it by the 168 hours a week I needed to be available, I would have realized that my time was not, I was not being properly compensated for the amount of time that I was spending on this job and that I need to be available for them. Um, and it's, and it's, it's a mistake that a lot of people make, whether it's related to their job or whether it's related to a business that they set up is not valuing the time that they are putting into that endeavor. Um, and I think that was a really important lesson that I learned. Nice. Number three, what is your favorite financial or non-financial book? My favorite financial book, and it's it's a simple book. It goes all the way back to just basic financial perspectives. Is Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Um, I mean, it's a it's a really simple book. Everybody who reads it can understand it, but it gives you the proper perspective mm. of how to start thinking about your money and investing and saving and all of that um because it sh starts to sh it, for me it shifted started shifting my mindset from a consumer mindset to an investor and entrepreneur mindset nice uh number four what is your favorite dish to make so and i, and I love the fact that you're asking this question because cooking for yourself is one of the best ways to actually a get a nutritious meal but b to actually save money on in the in the food in the food department um so one of my favorite dishes to make is actually stuffed flank steak never heard of that so you take a you take a flat slab of flank steak, you pound you take a meat tenderizer, pound it out, and then inside of it um, goes um, onions, breadcrumbs, spinach, and a variety of a variety of cheeses, and then you roll that up pan sear it so the outside browns yeah then you add a wine you add red wine and actually put raisins inside it too um and you put red wine in or in the in the pan and then you cook it for it's about an hour um and then when you serve it you slice it crosswise so you not only get the steak but then inside the pinwheel are the breadcrumbs, the spinach, the raisins, and then you have you end up with a nice red wine reduction sauce in the pan to to uh, put over it. That sounds delicious. <laughs> um, you might have showed me a picture of it, like you know, complete one. Um, yeah, the next yeah, one. yeah, yeah. There, there, there are so, there are several versions of it, but that that's the version that I like that I like best. All right, so we got the very last question, which is, where could people find out more about you? Oh, absolutely. So at rentalsecrets.net, um, they can find more about me, my background. Um, but then also, I post daily on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, so on Twitter, my handle is rentalsecret. Um, and on Instagram, it's rentalsecrets. Um but I post tips daily for renters and landlords um, to help them navigate this crazy situation that we all find ourselves in. Definitely awesome. So thank you so much, Justin, because uh, you provided so much value to the, to the audience today. And for those of you, if you got any value out of this or know somebody that's looking to start renting, or if you have a little renter yourself, um, please make sure that you share this with them make sure you like and subscribe because I think this is something that you really want to save in reference when you start um, looking for rentals uh, in the future, whether it's for something local, looking for a whole nother state, you need this information. And this is something that is across boundaries. 
So I want to thank you all for chiming in today. And again, thank you so much, Justin, for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, be with us today to share this uh, rental secrets uh, as we go through our lives. Thanks. Happy to be here. And remember, it's all about that wallet. Hey, <laughs> you can find Justice sometimes on the dance floor if y'all haven't known. He's, a, he's an awesome dancer out there. <laughs> well, yeah, you have to check out the uh, the FinCon trailer for uh, <laughs> for some of my dance moves. Hi, Justin. Thank you so much. You have a good one. All right, you too.